0: Alright, welcome everybody to another episode of Easy Street Sports. This week, we're going to talk about the NCAA waiving the requirement for divisions to be held in the college football conferences. And we're going to expand on that and what that might mean for the Big Ten and some of these Power Five conferences and the NCAA itself. And then we're going to move into how effectively we can evaluate a quarterback and how we can place them in a tier. And I wanted to go more into why or how I evaluate them, how long I believe it takes to evaluate a quarterback, and then some examples of where quarterbacks might end up and how it might be a little bit more of a fluid process depending on a quarterback. But to start off, my opening idea or my opening comments for the NCAA removing requirements for divisions, is I still don't think that that's the main issue with college football. I think that they have too many bowl games and not enough playoff games. But I'll get into that in a minute. So again, the NCAA waived the requirement for the next two years on requiring conferences in college football to hold or to divide their conference into divisions. Um, To go into more detail, if a division, or if a conference, sorry, has at least 12 members, they are required to decide that conference champion by having a conference championship between the winners of each division. So for instance, the Big Ten, they have the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West. And for the Big Ten specifically, the last few years on, for their conference championship game, I'm going to go back to 2015 because that's when college football playoffs started. And in 2015, you had this Michigan State and Iowa for the conference championship game. 2016, you had Penn State and Wisconsin. 2017, you had Ohio State and Wisconsin. 2018, you had Ohio State and Northwestern. 2019, Ohio State and Wisconsin again. 2020, you had Ohio State and Northwestern. And then just last year, 2021, you had Michigan and Iowa. Now, we've been familiar with the conference championship. That's how it's been played. Uh, You have the best team coming out of the West, best team coming out of the East, and the winner, of course, plays in a better bowl game, or recently they've played in the college football playoffs, but since 2015, I'm going to read off the college football playoff teams that we've had the last seven years. 2015, Ohio State, Alabama, Oregon, Florida State. 2016, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, MSU, Michigan State. 2017, Alabama, Washington, Clemson, Ohio State. 2018, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma. So the first three years of college football playoffs, we had at least one Big Ten team, Ohio State twice and Michigan State once. Now, 2019 you had Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Notre Dame. And then 2020, you had LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State. And then 2021, we had Alabama, Cincinnati, Georgia, and Michigan. So the Big Ten has been represented quite a bit in the college football playoffs, which is good. But I think, again, back to the divisions issue, by removing the need for divisions, you create the possibility of having the best two teams in the conference play for the conference championship. Instead of having, for instance, last year, Michigan, of course, beat Ohio State at the end of the year. And they ended up going on to the college or the conference championship game against Iowa. And Michigan destroyed Iowa 42 to 3 when Ohio State and Michigan had the two highest records in the Big Ten. So if you remove divisions, you can get into a situation where instead of having the number one team and then maybe the third, fourth, fifth team. Coming out of the West overall in the Big Ten, you get that matchup instead of one and two, which could be anything from Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. You you get a better representation of the Big Ten itself, because to be entirely honest, I don't think that a team like Indiana is ever going to be able to go toe-to-toe with these other teams, these other programs. So I think to take the West, who, yes, they've had Iowa, they've had Wisconsin in the last few years, Northwestern won it in 2020. Those teams are never quite as strong as Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State. So if you remove divisions you create the opportunity for the best two teams to play at the at the end of the season to prove that they deserve to be the Big Ten champion. Now, if that, for instance, is Michigan-Ohio State, they play in the final regular season game, and Michigan beat Ohio State this year, but then a few weeks later they play each other again, that might not seem like the most exciting game to watch just because they've played a few weeks ago. So that might dilute the excitement and the 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 value of that final season game. But you're still allowing the best two teams in the in the conference to battle for that championship spot. So let's say next year you, we remove divisions, hypothetically, and Michigan beats Ohio State. Um, Ohio State beats Michigan State, but then Michigan State and Michigan have the best two records in the Big Ten. So then those two meet up in the conference championship game, but Michigan State beats Michigan. Then you have this round robin of the best three teams in, in the Big Ten, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. They've all beat each other once. So then you get to the end of the year, all three of these teams have one loss, and Michigan State was the most recent one to win because they won the Big Ten Championship. Does that prevent, should that be the reason why Michigan and Ohio State don't get into the college football playoffs? I don't think so. I think that Ohio State and Michigan have great programs they of course did last year i know michigan didn't do well against georgia in the college football playoffs last year but i think there's still their programs are still strong enough to where there should be an argument for them to get into that game or to get into the college football playoffs so i think the bigger concern with college football is not that divisions are an issue although they I still believe that they slightly are, because, again, I just talked about it a bit ago, but when you have Ohio State completely ruling over the Big Ten East, and then they have to play Iowa at the end of the year, well, that's just a free ticket into the college football playoffs. It's a free ticket. I mean, Iowa, Michigan just did it to Iowa themselves by blowing them out, so... I think making the game a little more competitive against the best two teams in the conference makes that game itself better, that championship game. But then it might dilute some regular season games. But I still think at the end of the day, we only have 4 teams that make it to the playoffs, and that's just not enough. It's it's not. And that's what makes it that's what makes college football a little more difficult to watch because other than the top four teams, there's a, a really a big cutoff between just how good these programs actually are. I mean, every year Alabama's been in it, except for the one year that LSU made it. And I, I don't think there's enough representation of the entire country in terms of the college football playoffs. So I think their bigger concern is to expand that playoff picture. And I'll read off the top 12 teams from last year just to paint a better picture of what I'm talking about. So, one, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati. Those are the top four. Then, number five was Baylor. Ohio State was six. Oklahoma State was seven. 8, Notre Dame, Michigan State, number 9, Oklahoma, 10, Mississippi, or Ole Miss, 11, and Utah, 12. So if you were to expand the college football playoffs, let's say just to 8, no bye weeks, none of this extra stuff, just top 8, then that gives you Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati, Baylor, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, and Notre Dame. That, to me, is a better picture of what the entire college football game looks like. You have representation from Baylor, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, more Big Ten. You have Notre Dame in there. If you expanded it out further, you'd have the Pac-12 with Utah, more the SEC with Ole Miss, Oklahoma. You just get a better picture, and some of these matchups are a little more exciting to watch. Um, because I would rather see a playoff game between Notre Dame and Georgia, or, you know, let's say no, uh, Oklahoma State, Alabama, Michigan would play Ohio State again, and then Cincinnati would play Baylor. If you went one seed, plays the eight seed, and so on those games would be a lot more fun to watch instead of having Michigan State play Pittsburgh, Ohio State plays Utah, although that was a fun game to watch. But you get better matchups because you do take the best teams in the country and they're playing each other for a meaningful game. Because let's be honest, bowl games have kind of lost their luster because they're not worth anything anymore, at least not anymore, like they were. Because players are opting out for the draft. They don't want to get injured. We saw that with Michigan State and Pittsburgh. Kenneth Walker didn't play. Kenny Pickett didn't play. Because they're they're committing to the draft. Which is fine. I understand. You want to get drafted to the NFL. You want to make money. You want to go to that next level. I completely understand. But then these games become irrelevant. When if you make more of these bowl games playoff games. Then you're able to make the games a little more fun to watch instead of just, oh, who's Alabama playing this year? Who's Ohio State playing this year? Or Georgia or Oklahoma or whatever the case. There's always the same few teams getting there every year. And that's just not fun to watch. Same thing with just the Big Ten Conference. It's always, who's Ohio State beating this year? Yes, Michigan won this year, but I think Ohio State is going to retool and be right back at the top next year. And that's just a continuation of yes, the best program in the conference is winning the conference every year as it should. But that's not fun to watch at the national level. You know, I don't I I know Ohio State's good, I know Alabama's good, I get that, but I'd rather watch other teams play just to have a little more color, a little more diversity, just in terms of the programs getting to that level, even if they're a blowout game. I understand that. I know that Michigan did not go toe-to-toe with Georgia very well, which, yes, I understand there is still a big disparity between, between programs in college, and that's why it's a little tougher to watch. But you're still giving those teams a chance. You're still giving those teams a chance. Same thing with Cincinnati. Cincinnati didn't belong in the top four. Not even close. And I think everyone understood that. Baylor or Ohio State would have been much better selections there because Cincinnati just doesn't have as tough of a schedule. So their overall record may have been buoyed a little bit by the fact that they played nobody. I think their only quality win was against Notre Dame last year. So there is something to take into consideration at that point. But still, having all of these teams in there makes it a lot more fun for the entire country to watch because there's a lot more representation through the rest of the country. So I think to summarize, removing the requirement for divisions I think is a good start because then you allow the opportunity for the best two teams that should be fighting for that championship spot, they both get a chance, rather than, you know, the best coming out of one one division that might be a much, much weaker than the other division that they have to go against. But even if that helps those better programs have a better shot at that championship game, you're still not fixing the problem of, you're still only seeing Pretty much the same two, three, even four teams in the playoffs every year. And I think that's more of a concern than removing divisions, although I do like that idea. Even if it dilutes the Michigan-Ohio State game during the regular season, Michigan State-Ohio State, Michigan State-Michigan, even if those games aren't worth as much, and the championship game is just a rematch, I'd still rather see that, If they're the best two teams, rather than watching Michigan completely demolish Iowa, who had no no reason being there. Alright, with that being said, now we're going to transition back to the NFL. And I've been talking about this the last few weeks. Tiers, tiering quarterbacks, tier 1, tier 2, tier 3. But I wanted to expand more on how I evaluate a quarterback and how I place them in these tiers based on the sample size that they've provided through their career. And I think the first thing to consider is, for me, it's too difficult to evaluate a quarterback in the NFL to, to, to select them into a certain tier unless they've been in the league, for me, seven years and why i say 7 is because generally when a player is drafted they usually sign a 4 year contract rookie deal a 4 year rookie contract and then from after that contract depending on how they do there's sometimes there's the 5th year option franchise tag is another idea or they might sign a whole new contract that can be anywhere from three years to four years, five years. It, it it all just depends. But usually the rookie contract is about four years, and then three years afterwards, three years after that rookie contract, that that could that new contract, or they might be traded to a new team. Jared Goff, for instance, is a good example of that. Um But I think seven years. Is a good sample size. Because that offers you to see how they do in their first four years, which through those first four years you'll see a general trend of how good they actually are. You'll you'll see a trend in their in their win percentage and their record. But a reason I also like the idea of seven years is because there's a quarterback that was in the league for only six years, but I think his career would have been much more fruitful if injuries did not plague him so early on. And that's Andrew Luck, who was drafted in 2012 to the Indianapolis Colts. And to me, he is a perfect example of a quarterback that is Tier 1, he saw instant success when he came into the league. It was sustained success. And even though he was only in the league for six years, if he wasn't injured, you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was still in the NFL at this point. But just, just to shed more light on what I'm talking about, I'm going to go through his records since 2012. So Andrew Luck was in the league from 2012 to 2018. And his records are in 2012, 11 and 5, 2013, 11 and 5, 2014, 11 and 5. His first 3 seasons in the NFL, he had 11 wins every single year. Instant success and sustained success his last 3 seasons 2015 2 and 5 injured obviously didn't play a full season 2016 8 and 7 played one game less than a full season coming back from that injury and then 2018 he went 10 and 6 so i think back to about 90% of his talent 90% of his ability and then he decided to retire and we all remember that it was it was very emotional for him i think that he wanted to still play he i think he still had a lot left in him a lot more a lot of juice left so i don't think that he he wanted to get out i think his body was telling him that he needed to but 6 years he went 53 and 33 and you saw Four out of his six, he had winning seasons, double-digit wins, clear successful quarterback, clear ability to win games for his team. And so that's why I would see Andrew Luck as a Tier 1 quarterback. Now, he was only in the league for six years. I think if he had another season you would see the same level of success that he had in that 2018 season. But I think seven years is good to evaluate because, again, you have that four-year rookie contract, and then you have three years following that rookie deal with either a new contract or a quarterback may move to a new team, or you may see some form of restructuring of his deal, fifth-year option, franchise tag, There's a lot of different paths that 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 quarterback could have gone after that rookie deal. And that all just depends on his ability. Um, But I'm going to go through a few examples to kind of explain that seven years. And let's start with Jared Goff. Right now, he's, he's the Lions quarterback, and I think people are trying to label him as one thing or another. Um... But I think based on what he's shown, he's, I think he would be a tier two quarterback. But let's go through his years to, 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 to really dive into his sample size. He's been in the league for six years now. His first five years with the Rams. So he had that four-year rookie deal, fifth-year option. And then, of course, he was traded to Detroit. But let's go through his records. He was drafted in 2016, 0-7. Rookie, can't really, unless you see instant success, players like maybe Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, it's too early to evaluate even after that first year. So that's more of, okay, he's a rookie, didn't even play a full season, let's see what he does next year. 2017, 11-4. 2018, 13-3. and okay. So we see two back-to-back seasons of double-digit wins. 2018, they go to the Super Bowl. Or, sorry, 2017. And then 2019, they go 9-7. and seven. So kind of a Tier 2 level. Um, to put that into perspective, uh, the Vikings won eight games this year with Kirk Cousins. So right around that Tier 2 level. And then 2020, they went 9-6. and six. And then of course he was traded to Detroit, where he went 3-10-1. He missed three games due to injury. So I think those first two years, you saw Sean McVay able to build a strong defense around him. But of course his ceiling was, for Jared Goff, his ceiling was three points in the Super Bowl. And that's when... Sean McVay realized following that and then following a 9 7 and a 9 6 year, okay, this guy's not gonna cut it. He doesn't have enough talent, enough Moxie to get back to the Super Bowl. And then, of course, 3 10 1 in with Detroit. Now, this upcoming year, I went through their rec or I went through their schedule last week. I could see them going 9 8. I think that would be ideal. Um realistically. If they're closer to seven, eight wins, I really wouldn't be surprised. I think eight is probably what we're going to see. You might allude my, or you might chalk up my nine and eight to maybe a little bit of optimism, a little bit of biased optimism. But either way, I think you're going to see with the right pieces, good enough coaching, you're going to see him get to a tier two level, which I think is seven to ten wins and I wouldn't be surprised if that's where they are next year because that's what he's shown. He's shown the last three years that he's about eight, nine wins. Now, let's look at, we've looked at a tier two. Let's look at a tier one who had a very, very long career and that's Drew Brees, all right? So again, keep an eye on my seven year sample size. 2001, of course, he was drafted by the San Diego Chargers at that point. Didn't play that year. 2002, he went 8-8. 500. 2003, he went 2-9. 2004, he went 11-4. So those first four years, you saw Tier 2 average his second year. 2-9, 2-9, not even a full year, probably injured. Then 2004, you saw 11-4. and four. You thought, okay, there might be something here. They pick up that fifth-year option right out of his rookie contract. 2005, he goes 9-7. and seven, And Phillip Rivers comes into play here. I know that they benched Drew Brees, brought in Philip Rivers. They saw more success in him. 2006, Drew Brees ends up In New Orleans, so his sixth year, he's in New Orleans, new team again within that seven-year sample size. Two thousand six, they go ten and six. Two thousand seven, they go seven and nine. So for Drew Brees, you saw two seasons. You saw three seasons that were above five hundred two seasons that had double-digit wins. Then you had one season where he didn't really play, and then it looked like there was the 2003 season where he was obviously injured. But now, that amount of games, or that number of years, might not be enough. You might say, oh, that sounds like a Tier 2. That sounds like a Tier 1. Hindsight, we know he's a Tier 1. But let's go through the rest of his career in New Orleans and see what kind of a picture that paints. So 7 and 2007, he goes 7 and 9. 2008, he goes 8 and 8. 2009, he goes 13 and 2. 2010, 11 and 5. 2011, 13 and 3. 2012, 7 and 9. 2013, 11 and 5. 2014 or sorry, 2013, 14 and 15. He goes 7 and 9. Seven and eight, seven and nine. So you really saw a few years, or 2009 to 2011, you saw three years of double digit wins, Quality success, sustained success across three years. You saw 2012 where they took a step back, needed to retool a bit. 2013 came back to a du- double digit season win. And then 14, 15, 16, you saw him go back to 7 and 9, 7 and 8, 7 and 9. So, a step back for multiple years. Then 2016, or sorry, 2017 and 18, double digit seasons. He went 11 and 5, 13 and 2, back to that top tier level. And then 2019, 8 and 3, and then 2020, 9 and 3. Now... Out of his 20-year career, he had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 8 seasons with double-digit wins. Now, the number of seasons where he had winning seasons, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I'm not counting seasons where he went 500. Um, I'm only counting seasons where nine and three, eight and three, nine and seven, those kinds of seasons. So you saw more than half of his career, he saw either double-digit wins or he saw a winning season. But even the seasons where they didn't have a winning record. The only one that was not even close to 500 was 2003 when he went 2-9. and nine. But you have a few seasons where he goes 8-8, eight and eight, and then three seasons in a row where he goes 7-9, and nine, or he has seven wins. So you never saw a level of three wins, four wins, five wins. You regularly saw double-digit wins, seasons above 500, and in a lot of those seasons, he's making it to the playoffs. He's winning the division. You're seeing postseason success from this guy. And he even won a Super Bowl back in 2009. To have that much success of uh, across 20 years is an indication of his caliber of talent and his caliber of leadership to be able to lead his team to this level of success. So Drew Brees, even though... His first few years in San Diego, even though they, they sent him to New Orleans and they substituted Phillip Rivers in there, he was still able to, to find sustained quality success throughout his career, and that's why he's a tier one quarterback. He's, he's consistently, constantly winning games, winning the division, winning playoff games, And he did it over the course of 15 years in New Orleans and then the five years in San Diego. So a long amount, a long time of success. Let's take a look at another Tier 1 quarterback with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Comes into the league 2005. He sits behind Brett Favre, of course, for 2005, 2006, 2007. Didn't play any games those first three years. And I think that was kind of the mindset for rookie quarterbacks back in the early 2000s. You drafted them, and then they sat behind who you had. And of course, Brett Favre was a Hall of Fame quarterback in his own right. So there was no need for Aaron Rodgers to play. Anyway, 2008 was his first year where he started. He went 6-10. and 10. First year technically playing. So his technically rookie year if we want to put it that way it was 2008 and he went 6 and 10 not enough of a sample size to evaluate a quarterback you you can't take a year and say yep this is the direction they're heading in 2009 11 and 5 2010 10 and 5 2011 14 and 1 2012 11 and 5 so his first 5 Actual seasons where he played, he had one season under 500. Those other four seasons, double digit wins. Sustained success, quality success. Clear indication of a tier one quarterback. Then, 2013, they take a bit of a step back and go six and three. Of course, injured, didn't play a full season. Then, 2014, 15, and 16, 12 and 4, 10 and 6, 10 and 6. Three more years, or three more seasons of double-digit wins. Clear, sustained success yet again. Then, 2017, 2018, he goes 4 and 3. Injured, of course, doesn't play a full season. And then 2018, he goes 6, 9, and 1. And that was the year where, okay... We might need to draft a quarterback. He might be done. We might need to move on here soon. They draft Kevin Love. That, of course, was, in hindsight, not a great decision. Of course, brought Aaron Rodgers to the idea of, hey, I'm not done. I've got plenty left in the tank. 2019, 2020, and 2021, they go 13-3, 13-3, 13-3. Again, another couple years, double-digit wins, clear success. And he is an even better example of a Tier 1 quarterback where you don't see that level of success across literally a decade. Plus some change, unless you have the ability to be... Unless you have superstar quality talent, and you have an immense amount of leadership... To win these games. So, so Aaron Rodgers, another clear tier one. You see double-digit success, double-digit wins for years. I'm mean, Four years in a row. Three years in a row. Another three years in a row, you're seeing double-digit wins. That's not easy to do. And it's not like he's winning 10 games, 11 games. He's winning 14, 12 13 wins, years back-to-back-to-back. Clear indications of a Tier 1. Then, you might have some outliers in this evaluation. And who comes to mind for me is a Joe Burrow. He's only been in the league two years. 2020, with the Bengals, he went 2-7-1. He, of course, injured... He got injured, didn't play the rest of the season, wasn't able to fully evaluate him. Of course, got injured, rookie season. It's it's not fair to evaluate a quarterback that early in his career. With that being said, because he was injured, Cincinnati was able to draft Jamar Chase, I believe 6th overall, 8th overall, somewhere in in the top 10. 2021. They go 10-6. and six. They beat the Chiefs twice in the same format. They beat the Titans, and they make it all the way to the Super Bowl, and of course they lose to the Rams. But even though they go 10-6 and six that year, to have that level of success just in the playoffs, that is an outlier in, I think it would be fair to say, that I, I wouldn't say right now that he's a clear tier one quarterback, just because again it's very very early in his career. We could see the next four years of his career, he could be eight and eight or eight and nine now. All of those seasons, and that would be an indication of a tier two quarterback. So I again, it's still too early, but we can say for certainty that it, he's at least leading to or heading in that direction of a tier one quarterback based on the success that he's shown in just one year so it is possible for a quarterback to break that mold of that seven-year evaluation that i like to utilize for a quarterback so for someone like a patrick mahomes or a josh allen they're both leaning towards a tier one that's clear they've both shown obvious success but You might, again, I still believe it's too early because teams are constantly retooling, rebuilding, and a quarterback's, of of course, part of that process, and sustained success only happens when you're able to move through those retools, those rebuilds, seeing new players, bringing in veterans, constant changing, restructuring of the contracts. So there's a lot that goes into changes year to year just in terms of the roster, and a good quarterback can take advantage of that and not miss a step. So even though Joe Burrow, I think, is heading clearly in the direction of a tier one quarterback, I would say it's still too early to have a succinct evaluation of his talent, of his caliber just yet. But I think we still, again, we all know the direction that he's heading, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up a Tier 1 quarterback in 2028 once he's at that, or 2027, once he's at that seven-year mark for me. Now, there's also outliers in the terms of the fluidity of this evaluation process. And the quarterback that comes to mind on what I'm talking about here is Matthew Stafford. He was, he was, of course, drafted by Detroit in 2009. And I think people labeled him as a Tier 2 quarterback. And I think that was a, the, a correct evaluation of his ability. But we'll go through his first seven years. 2009, 2-8. Two and eight. 2010, 1-2. Two. Injuries, first two years in the league, obviously not a great start. 2011... They go 10 and 6. Okay. Double digit wins. First winning season. Okay. 2012, they go 4 and 12. So his first four years, he has one winning season. Not phenomenal results. But there's still more time. Let's go through the next three years. 2013, 7 and 9. Okay. Tier 2. Level record again, seven and nine, seven and ten, eight and eight, eight and nine, nine and eight, nine and seven. Right? That's about the tier two records. So 2013, seven and nine, 2014, 11 and five. That was the year that they missed on Aaron Donald, they took Eric Ebron, a tight end, because they believed that that's what they needed to get back to the Super Bowl, or not to get back to the Super Bowl, but to make a deep run into the playoffs. Of course, not the right decision. Jim Caldwell, uh, of course, did not do well after that. Then 2015, seven and nine, and then 2016 and 2017, nine and seven, nine and seven. So those four years with Jim Caldwell from 14 to uh, 17 you saw right around other than that 11 and 5 year where they missed on Aaron Donald you saw 7 and 9 9 and 7 9 and 7 clear tier 2 quality wins that's a tier 2 example of what your record's going to look like if you if you want to take another look at an example you do research on Kirk Cousins you see what his record is through his career and evaluate what he might be. All right? Then 2018, they bring in Matt Patricia. They go 6 and 10. 2019, 3 4 and 1. 2020, they go 5 and 11. So based on what you see, there's really only 2 years in his career at Detroit where he has double digit wins. He has one, two, three, four years of a winning season, a winning record. So, to me, that's enough of an indication of he's a Tier 2. He's a Tier 2 quarterback. However, this last year with the Rams, where, of course, that blockbuster trade with Jared Goff, draft picks, and Stafford going to L.A., the Rams went... 12-5, 12-5, and, and they, of course, won the Super Bowl. Winning the Super Bowl, obviously, is not an easy task. That requires, except for the miracle runs of Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, it takes a certain caliber of quarterback, a certain level of talent, a certain level of leadership to bring a team to the promised land. So he is a perfect example of, he's been a tier two the majority of his career, if not almost all of it. But this last year with the Rams could be an indication of, hey, maybe he wasn't the issue in Detroit. Maybe Detroit struggled with terrible coaching, subpar coaching. Um, they never quite built a quality team around him. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you had the choice between Aaron Donald and Eric Ebron... Um, I would bet a lot of money that you would take Aaron Donald. And I would do the same. So, Matthew Stafford, if he still shows that level of success. I mean, getting back to the Super Bowl is very difficult in and of itself. But, again, even if he's able to have double-digit wins, have winning seasons, even if he goes 9-8 and eight a few years He's fighting for his division. He's winning his division. He's winning playoff games through the rest of his career. Let's say he plays, he's been in the league 13 years. Let's say he plays seven more years. 20-year career, that might be a lot. It might only be five. But again, if you see, oh, the next five years of his career, he's won the division twice. He's won three, four, five playoff games. Maybe he makes it back to the NFC championship or the NFC title game that would be enough to indicate he's made the transition from a Tier 2 quarterback into a Tier 1. Because that's the amount of success, especially in terms of the postseason, that you should expect from a Tier 1 quarterback. That's why they're Tier 1. That's why they're the elite top 12, top 8 quarterbacks in the league. is because you're seeing that level of success in the regular season, and you're seeing division wins, so you get to host a playoff game. You're seeing playoff game wins throughout years consistently in their career. So Matthew Stafford, again, is a perfect example of how this evaluation process is also fluid. Because you, will, you can see quarterbacks like Matthew Stafford where they have the opportunity to move between tiers. Carson Wentz or Nick Foles might be a good example of this, where they chalked them up to maybe Tier 1s when they won the Super Bowl that year. And since then, Nick Foles has been a Tier 3, a backup, and Carson Wentz has been with Indianapolis, uh, went 9-8, and kind of laid an egg at the end of the season, and now he's with Washington. So bouncing around all this stuff isn't a great indicator that he's a franchise guy. So there is a little bit of fluidity With this evaluation process. Now, with all this being said, I'm now going to make the connection to something I've been seeing, of course, this offseason. And that is the trade that the Browns made for Deshaun Watson. Now, however you feel about Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield, I'm going to put the numbers on paper and see if that might paint a better picture. Deshaun Watson, of course, drafted by Houston in 2017. He goes three and three that year. Rookie season. Didn't play a full year, whether he was injured or not. Not great, but also not enough of an indication of what tier he is. You know, not enough, not enough of a sample size to evaluate him. 2018 11-5, 2019, 10-4. Okay, double digits wins, you know, sustained success across two years. I know they made it to the playoffs at least one of those seasons. So you're saying, okay, that's tier one level success, but again, not enough of a sample size to indicate how good he actually is. But then his last year in Houston, in 2020, he goes 4-12. and 12. So... Not a great season. He has an overall record of 28 and 25, so not much in the win column above losing, above his losses. But that's only four years. And what this tells me is he could be a tier one, or he could be highly erratic, chaotic, not very consistent. And of course, he's young. And that that tends to happen with younger players. Their their ability to win is a little bit inconsistent. But, okay, I see that there's two seasons here of the four that show that he has the potential to be a Tier 1. He has the potential, okay? Now let's go to Baker Mayfield, who came into the league in 2018. And, of course, we looked at Cleveland's record a few weeks ago. They consistently won between 2 to 4 games every year. You know, not bottom of the bottom of the league, not a great amount of success. That's just to paint a picture before he comes into the league. 2018, he goes 6 and 7. New head coach, new offensive coordinator. 2019, they go 6 and 10. New coach new offensive coordinator 2020 they go 11 and 5 new coach new offensive coordinator that was the year that they made it to the playoffs he won them their first playoff game in like 30 years but then of course they lose to the chiefs in that division round divisional playoff round and i think they left um, a bad taste in their mouth in Cleveland. But that, again, 6-7, and 6-10, and 11-5, you saw a huge jump in the right direction, so you thought, okay, maybe he is going to develop into a Tier 1. But then you have 2021. They go right back to six wins. They have a record. He has a record of 6-8 and eight in 2021. Now, what I don't think enough people realize is that he had a, a lot of injuries during the regular season that he tried to fight through. I know his shoulder was giving him a lot of trouble. I think his knees were giving him a lot of trouble. So to play through injuries is difficult enough on its own, but and again, it's, you you can't say the injuries are the problem here and that's why he didn't do well because on paper just his record six and seven six and ten eleven and five six and eight you have three seasons here where he only won six games you only had that 2020 season where he went 11 and five so these first four years you could say at best he's a tier two quarterback and wherever he ends up wherever he gets traded, how, however the case is, even if Deshaun Watson gets suspended, the Baker Mayfield has to play for the Browns, as brittle as that relationship is now. Back to my seven-year evaluation process. Four years is not enough for Deshaun Watson or Baker Mayfield. Four years is not enough of a sample size to evaluate any quarterback. Even an outlier like Joe Burrow, even with the the direction that he seems to be heading in. Only two years is not enough. We still need to see more of these guys on the field winning games, having winning seasons, winning the division, winning playoff games. There's so much that they have yet to show us before we can clearly evaluate their ability. Same thing with quarterbacks, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. These rookies from last year, there's not enough. Same thing with Kenny Pickett coming into this year. We cannot evaluate his ability through one year unless they're a clear indication of, like a Joe Burrow, who makes it all the way to the Super Bowl. If he's if he wins his division next year or he wins a playoff game next year, that will lead further into my assumption that he's going, or my prediction that he's going to be a Tier 1. But again, there's still not enough time. We need to give these quarterbacks time to show what they can do, to demonstrate their talent to the league. And at that point, you can evaluate a quarterback. So quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, they have plenty of years left in the tank. There's still plenty of life left in them. And I think we're going to see a lot of fun quarterback play, even Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Those are another tier, tier one quarterbacks. So you're seeing a changing of the guard with Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady here soon, Aaron Rodgers maybe in the next few years. We're going to see all these Tier 1s retire and see this fresh blood come into the league, and we're going to watch some pretty exciting football here in the next five years. And I can't wait. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next week.